The Evolve Network is now live at evolvenetwork.tv. Subscribe for meal plans, recipes, cooking shows, and our very own The Magic Pill and The Magic Plant, as well as access to my favorite documentaries. The Evolve Network is also home to our full library of podcasts, with new release podcasts airing first and in full on the channel. You can also watch selected vodcasts in a video format. Meanwhile, enjoy this highlight of our podcast and head over to evolvenetwork.tv for the full Evolve podcast experience. The Evolve with Pete Evans podcast is a conversation about my favorite ingredients for a healthy human experience. We take an informed look at topics that include nutritional and emotional well-being as well as expanded consciousness. I love exploring the topics that are not traditionally taught at school and take a deep dive into them with my special guests. I invite you to sit back and come along for the ride with an open mind and heart and please share with your family and friends as these podcasts may just be the seed from which many things will flourish from. Cheers. We've been using Waters Co. water filters for the last 10 years and I wholeheartedly trust my family's health with them. Waters Co. established 1977 have personal and domestic water filters which turns your ordinary tap water into great tasting alkaline ionized mineral water which removes up to 99.9% of fluoride, heavy metals, chemicals and bacteria so you can love your tap water again. The Bio 1000 is the latest edition of the BMP 1000 model and the culmination of over 40 years of experience and research into water filtration by some of the world's leading scientists. Waters Co. was first to market with natural gravity-fed systems, creating alkaline water way back in 1984, and have continued to lead the market in research and development, setting the benchmark for all other brands to follow. Please go to my webpage, PeteEvans.com, to learn more and to receive your special discount from my link on the products page. You're going to love it. Joy, thank you so much for joining us. How are you, sister? Oh, you're you're very welcome and very happy to be here across the ocean. <laughs> Whereabouts are you coming from today? Uh, I'm in Los Angeles. Very hot outside. <laughs> we, we were having this small conversation before we pressed record about um, biohacking or body hacking and that there's so many different theories and philosophies out there in the world. And I have to say LA is one of the places where anything goes and everything seems to stem from that area. Like whenever you hear something sort of new and outlandish, it's like it's already happening in LA. That's <laughs> where I'm at. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and we're going to yeah, talk a bit. heard that even though, you know, there's, you know, some great thoughts and, you know, great ideas coming through from all over the country, but somehow we have that reputation, I guess. It, you do. And I wanted to talk to you about that, about as a human species, why is it, do you think, that it's so hard to find the truth as to what works for us to stay healthy when there's so many conflicting ideas and information out there? There's plant-based, meat-based, somewhere in between. There's people that believe in biohacking, you know, using cold therapy and technology to help them. Others believe, no, you only stick to the um, ancient ways or... Yeah or modern medicine, ancient medicine, or natural wisdom? Yeah. Because you're a doctor. I think where it should start is to just admit our ignorance. So first of all, the universe 
the human world, the, you know, our entire ecosystem is so complex that we just don't know enough. So that's where we, we're going to start. We don't have enough science. Our little brain is able to understand a lot, but is nowhere near the complexity of the universe. So, so that's where it starts. And that's where the confusion can come from because we don't know the ultimate truth. We're not the creators. We're trying to figure out what the creator has put in the recipe. What is he doing? So, um, so we trying to use our human brain to come up with some kind of conjecture, some kind of theory. And of course we have this great, um, great new science, you know, that, that came through kind of from the European, you know, uh, tradition, even though, you know, in a lot of, uh, cultures there were science, but the systematic science, scientific process has been extremely powerful. And that has helped us unlock a lot of secrets, including all of this modern medicine and, you know, everything we understand about, you know, microorganisms into the you know process of DNA. So all these are very, very exciting, but still we are just touching the tip of the iceberg. Um, so when it comes to something as simple as should we eat meat? I mean, you know the debate, right? I've struggled with the debate myself. I have been a vegan for 18 months. And then as I like, know, maybe I shouldn't be, I don't see enough evidence. So I'm searching for evidence. So there's evidence pro, there's evidence against, and there's so many things about diet, but I think the bottom line is we don't understand exactly how, not just how this human body functions, is how we interact with the entire world around us, including all the plants and all the animals. Um, I remember hearing another doctor talking about how he thinks that plants are basically not that great for you because plants are immobile. They want to produce these chemicals to protect themselves. But what he forgot to to say, you know, because he's, he's a proponent of meat, you know, carnivore diet only, but he forgot to realize that we have evolved for millennia, uh, millennia as a system that plants may have a reason to nourish us. They may not always want to kill us, right? So there's a reason that we, we want to have this system, this machine doing everything together. Um, so that, that makes it very complex. And that's where I think modern medicine is trying to borrow some of the wisdom from ancient medicine because ancient medicine did not have the science to start from. They have intuition. They have this kind of assessing of how the system works and they have observation so that the, the intuition and the observation are coming together and that, and then they were able to see what works and what doesn't in a very, very, you know, kind of a holistic way. They're not tearing things apart into individual elements. Um, so by tearing it apart, we have created so much complexity for ourselves. Uh, if you go to any medical conference, which I've been to a lot, um, one single subject, um, just the biochemical reaction of one single molecule, let's say serotonin, the, the diagram is, you know, there may be 200, 300 things on there, right? So, so it's overwhelming. How can we know who is, who's got the answers? Because we, Every, every scientist can only look at one or two linear relationships and they may spend 10 years studying that relationship, but you've got a hundred or 200 relationships. So what's the truth? And I, th I think the complexity just, you know, first of all, be humble, just admit that we don't know enough. And, and we try to figure out as much as we can, but be open-minded. I think what happened with a lot of people, including a lot of doctors is that once they know a little bit of science and they stop growing, they're like, oh, 
I know the truth now. So, so I'm going to reject you, reject you, all these new evidence. No, it doesn't fit into what I know. And that's something that's, that's got to change if we really are trying to bring human health to the next level. Beautiful summation. Let's talk about uh, you as a doctor as well. What was the catalyst for you to journey down this path? And let's also explain to myself and the viewers and listeners what type of doctor you are and, and where you are now, where you started in this journey. <laughs> Yeah, where I started from the very beginning was actually in China. So I just wrote a, um, I wrote a book and it's published a year ago. It's called Tiger of Beijing. Um, it's actually behind me. So that's, um, it's, um, it's, it's about how I made it out of China. So think of about, think of a, a, a little girl, 20 year old with no resources, no connections to anybody, um, but have a dream of seeking some kind of freedom. Freedom to to be, to express, to flourish. So that's what I had, and and the books about how I actually, you know, how I was rejected on my first attempt. Um, that's the first chapter, and then what happened after that. So what what can human spirit do in the face of all adversities? So so that's where I came from. Is important in the story of medicine because it does help it did shape who I was, uh, who I am, um, because I grew up. Um, on a university campus in Beijing, and my my dad's professor, my mom's chemistry teacher, but she's really really interested in medicine. And in our medicine drawer, which is really fun, is that everything is all jumbled together. They're Chinese medicine, they're Western medicine, they're you know these anti all these pills or little you know Chinese you know the little um, pellets, and um, so it just it, it, there's no discrimination, right? It's a treasure box of tools. So my mom will ask me, okay, tell me about your symptoms. What, what's going on? Being, oh, my stomach's upset or I'm, you know, I, I feel like really, you know, just hot. And, and then she will be, um, she'll be like, okay, all right. And then she will go into the Chinese, the, the medicine box, and then she will pick out whatever. I don't know if it's going to be Chinese medicine or a Western medicine, right? It depends on the situation. It depends on what works. So I, I, I just got to interject here because it's so beautiful that you're saying this because over many, many years, I have said that in our documentaries that modern medicine and ancient medicine or ancient wisdom, natural therapies need to live harmoniously, you know, and to shun one, I think would be at the detriment to oneself, you know, because you know people that only believe in Western or modern medicine and you know that by them opening themselves to a little bit of that ancient wisdom or natural therapies, it would help them. But the same thing on the other side of the coin, the people that just believe in natural medicine or um, shunning Western medicine, the same thing. And, and you've heard stories and you've probably witnessed it and, and it's this coming together of these two without judging either of them as bad or good. They're just what we have as tools. Sorry to say that, but it's, it's, it's great because this is a wonderful explanation. Well, I had to go through my own struggles too. So, you know, I've always loved science, but my mom was diagnosed with multiple myeloma and, and everybody thought she was going to die at age 42, 43. And she was in a hospital for six months, uh, went through six rounds of chemotherapy, lost most of her hair and everyone on the same ward there were about, you know, 10 other patients and they were all, they all walked in and then left on a stretcher. So they were all dead. So my mom finally said, I'm out of here. 
get me out of here. I, I'm not going to continue this. So what she did was that she went to a Chinese medicine doctor and the doctor specialized in helping the immune system. So, so her is, hers is kind of a blood cancer, right? So what he did was he wrote all these herbs and, you know, according to what her, her constitution are to boost her immune system. And then all she did was drink that nasty <laughs> potion twice a day and then doing aerobics. And within six months, everything became normal. She went back to work. She lived beautifully for another 32 years. So, so that, that was a story that, you know, it's like, okay, you've got to respect, you've got to respect what Chinese medicine is doing. They can work together. Actually, what happened was the, the doctor who was on the oncology ward was so impressed that my mom recovered so beautifully. She, uh, he came to our house to get the formula of, of the, all the herbs. So he actually brought that into his ward so all the patients can take the same, you know, which is really, it's kind of a Western approach to, to what that Chinese medicine doctor is doing because you don't give the same thing to everybody, right? No one has this. So the Western medicine always wants to simplify it. You know, oh, we found this is, this is great. This is a great formula. So we're going to give it to everybody. It doesn't work that way. But, but the Chinese medicine doctor that treated your mum treated her as an individual and listened to her and then prescribed based on her as a unique wonder. Right. right, right, because he's diagnosing different deficiencies in different organs and he's giving herbs particularly to strengthen particular organ because, you know, even though everybody can get cancer, just like everybody can get diabetes, but doesn't mean that your body have the same type. So you may have many, many, you know, you all have your own way of arriving at a disease, but the treatment should be according to how you got there. Yeah. So, um, but you know, there's another trap, which is, you know, I fell into it, which is, being so focused on natural methods. When I was, I went to school at UCLA and um, I was actually disappointed um, when I was in school um, during pharmacology class because they talk about all the drugs and, and they talk about mechanism of action and, you know, the, the pharma, pharmacodynamics and all that stuff. So that's all fine. Oh, great. You know, looking at what it can help. But the bottom line is at the very end, when we really got down to why does this medication work? I would say at least half the time, the answer is mechanism unknown. And I was like, that's not really, that, that's not acceptable. I mean, why, why is it unknown? So I didn't understand. But then when I was talking with another, I remember this another MD, PhD student was talking about acupuncture. And he said, well, there's still no evidence it works. I said, are, are you sure? Because there are reams and reams of publications, volumes of study. People have studied this. This, you know, this does work. And his and his answer was, well, um, we don't know we don't know how it works. And that's so so to me, it's like what how what hypocrisy, right? Why is it okay not to, not knowing how these drugs work? But you know, why, why is that okay? but it's not okay when it comes to other traditional form of medicine, when there's proof that they work. So it's a complete double standard. So I got so upset <laughs> by, by this mentality. I was really disappointed. And um, it's to the point where I went through another extreme because I got sick. So all these students were all, you know, cooped up in the same library trying to pass exams. And um, so half the people got sick. So I got really sick. And then I was, rejecting Western medicine because I was really upset with this, you know, just my experience. So I was trying to do, you know, steam inhalation. I was taking all these herbs. I was trying to do everything I could, 
but I was still not getting better. I was just in bed. I, I, I couldn't even get out of my room. So I called my mom, who was still in China. I said, mom, I'm really sick. I don't even have, you know, I can't even get out to see a doctor. She said, take antibiotics. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know. I still have some I brought from China. She said, take it. I said, okay, fine. I'll take it. Within a day, <laughs> I started to, you know, just straight, straight line recovery, right? So that taught me a lesson that I can't go to the extreme of, of, you know, any position because for acute, a lot of acute conditions, absolutely. Western medicine is beautiful because it found, it found this direct, you know, point A to point B relationship, and then it can target it. Uh, but unfortunately, where it fails at is chronic conditions, chronic diseases, because these are like what they want to say, they usually like to describe it as multifactorial, which means it's so complicated. They don't know how to put their head on, you know, it's, it's multifactorial. Dementia is multifactorial. I, I remember, um, yeah, what, 20, uh, 17 years ago, something like that. Yeah. I remember talking to this doctor who's a neuropsychiatrist. So he was so excited about finding out the cure, finding the cure for Alzheimer's, because he said, I'm Joy, I'm telling you in 10 years, we're going to find the cure for, for dementia. For Alzheimer's. I said, well, how, how, how do you know? He said, well, the, the science has evolved so fast. You know, every year there's new discoveries. I, I'm telling you in 10 years, we're going to have a cure for Alzheimer's. So 10 years had passed about seven years ago. Uh, we are nowhere. We're still, you know, as far as Western medicine, we're pathetic when it comes to Alzheimer's. Well, it's interesting because I have interviewed Dr. Dale Bredesen a couple of times on the podcast, and he's written a few books on Alzheimer's. And just off the top of my head from remembrance, he says that like that, it's multifactorial and he has a protocol that includes, I think it's 48 or 50 different um, steps along the way. And they're not even steps in a chronological order. They're just, if you want to look at Alzheimer's and dementia as a whole, you need to be looking at these 50 factors. You have to be mm -hmm. looking at diet. You need to be looking at sleep. You need to be looking at breath. You need to be looking at the genes of some people, how, how they're turned on and off. You need to be looking at this, you know, and it's just, he goes, without looking at all of those things, you know, with just focusing on one like a pill from the pharmaceutical industry, you're going to miss out on these other things that can be a, a factor, you know. So he's created this protocol that's, you know, it's, it's a big protocol. But for somebody, yeah. to, somebody to adopt that that has never thought about changing their, like somebody just to change their diet, that's nearly insurmountable for, for many people. And that's just one of the factors. Right, you know? right. So sorry to interrupt because we're going back into what type of doctor you are and you're going through your life experiences here, which is great. I'm so passionate about, you know, stem cell therapy. So I've been, um, you know, a huge, just, you know, a, um, you know, a proponent of stem cell therapy and I've seen great results with my patients. You know, but I also employ a lot of other therapeutic um, modalities. But what I love about stem cell therapy is that is the first time that we're using intelligence to heal the body, right? We're not giving a person a drug. We're not even giving giving, giving them a, a cluster of chemicals by you know herbs. We're giving them DNA, which has the ability to respond to the environment because DNA is the most substance is the most energy dense substance in the universe. So it has so much information. It's able to de depend on what information it's getting. It will manifest something else as a strategy. 
So by putting these densely packed intelligence into the human body, that can have can address all 50 factors at once, right? Maybe even 200 factors all at once, something that we're, we're not able to do. Uh, just, you know, something to admire about power of creation. We cannot, as humans, as, as brilliant as we think we are, we can't manufacture one single cell. It's just a mystery of one cell. We can't make it. We can't, we can't do it. Yeah, we're, we're lucky now we can manufacture some chemicals. Uh, but the cell, the life itself, is so packed with mystery and intelligence. It's so beyond. I feel like it's beyond what the current level of science is able to comprehend. So you have to go into probably other levels, other dimensions to really understand what is going on here. Um, so that will call into question of where science is going. Can we get there? Can we unpack all this? Um, I've, I've journeyed to some of those other realms, just, just so you know. <laughs> uh, I want to take a step back before we get into stem cell, because just for people listening, the the qualifications that you have you, when you yes. went to university, let, let's tick those off and where stem cell um, science and medicine entered into your reality and why you decided to uh, journey down that after being at the university. Right. So um, in medical school, of course, we could be anything we want. But um, what I realized was when I was um, dealing with patients who have mental health issues, psychiatric issues, I just found that incredibly fascinating, but also rewarding because we could actually do something to really help get them out of that kind of suffering. Um, so, you know, I love the brain. I think it's so mysterious and so incredible. So I went into psychiatry. So I did psychiatry for some time and, and um, you know, in emergency rooms and also in the clinic. But um, I, I decided to kind of focus a little bit more on one, one uh, segment of psychiatry was addiction medicine. It's not exactly psychiatry. It's, it's a discipline on, onto its own. It's multidisciplinary. So addiction medicine includes, you know, psychiatric aspects and neurological aspects and, and all the other, you know, many other aspects. But um, um, it was when I was doing that, that I encountered a doctor who was doing anti-aging medicine. And I didn't even know what that was. So I just barely found out what functional medicine was. Um, so this was not that long ago. This is probably six, seven years ago. Um, this is how kind of caught up in our own little bubble we all can be, all the doctors. Um, not to mention, you know, everyone on the street, um, we can all get caught in our bubbles. But for doctors, especially, you're taught a certain uh, message in medical school. And when you get out, you go to conferences and it's still dominated by pharmaceutical industry and how they present information, how they sponsor people and how they sponsor the whole conference. Um, so, and the journals, it's all, you know, within the same realm. So I never even heard about, I didn't know people were doing stem cell therapy already. I was surprised because the doctor said, look what this teacher wrote after I treated this kid with autism. Look at all these changes. There are about 40 things that teachers noticed of the changes after the stem cell treatment, the, 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 the kid was able to talk more, was able to interact better, was able to have better focus. I mean, just all these changes. And, and so I was really surprised. And, and also I was surprised that this 
it's already going on. I said, you, you can actually do this. So that's when I found out that there's a whole world out there. And then when I learned about how these cells work, um, I just thought this is, this is incredible. So, uh, you know, on one side is the theory of why these cells should work, right? They are the driving force of what's going on in your body. They're, first of all, they are the ones behind forming you in the first place. And then they can continue to, to regenerate you, right? You, you're, you're damaged, you're, you're, you know, getting older. And then all these cells are coming in to, to make you better, make you more whole. And then, um, but the thing is, you know, these, these, these cells can actually show evidence of benefits. And that's the part I, you know, I was in my bubble. I had no idea. So I started to dig, uh, dig up research to find out what had people found out, what can these stem cells help? And, and that's how I started to accumulate this library of, of scientific articles, these published articles, all the clinical studies of what it can actually do. And, and seeing, you know, real evidence, these are rigorous studies. Um, that's when, you know, the passion kind of just grew, you know, it's, it's one thing to, to hear that it works, you know, in theory is another thing to see that actually works in practice. And then in my own practice, when I give patients the treatment, I would say the response rate will be, will be over 90%. So there are always, you know, a few people that did not respond. So I, I never presume that people are going to do great. Uh, I never know how each person are going to respond. I think as a doctor, any doctor would know they can never predict. Um, but um, but I would say over 90% have really great um, response. And that is pretty incredible, you know, when it comes to science, especially most drugs can get approved with uh, some kind of, you know, 35, 40% response rate, right? Most antidepressants I was prescribing about 35%. So, wow. um, so 90% is incredible. Can you explain then for anybody that's never heard of stem cell medicine yeah. or stem cell research, what is it? Where does it come from? How is it applied? And maybe okay. <clears throat> I've got to be careful here. Um, what what may it do, or what, what what can it do? If you're allowed to say, yeah, absolutely. I'm asked that all the time. So if you think of stem cell, just think of your mom and dad, right? Sperm and egg, boom. That's the first stem cell. That is the blueprint of what's going to become you. That's the very first stem cell. And from that first stem cell, it's going to be two, it's going to be four, right? It's going to keep dividing. And when it starts to divide, all these are very early cells. So they will start to form, you know, a ball and then start to form different complex structures. And so all these are very early, but gradually the cells will start to specialize, which means that they have differentiated to gain function. So when they gain function, then they may not have as much stemness, which means that the potential to become whatever they need to be. So this is the new word, stemness. So they will become more specialized. And when the full babies formed, right? Most of the cells are specialized cells because you need the particular cells to perform function. The eyes need to see, right? The lungs need to breathe, heart needs to beat. So they're all specialized, but guess what? But one in 10,000 cells in this baby is a stem cell. Is a is the most uh, important stem cell uh, called mesenchymal stem cell. So this type of stem cell now is kind of considered like the holy grail of stem cells. Um, there are all kinds of other stem cells, but these are kind of what's keeping us healthy and youthful all through our you know whatever 70, 80 years, because 
these cells are ubiquitous. They're everywhere in your body. Anywhere you have a blood supply, these cells are there because what they do is they're, you know, they, they always huddle around the blood vessels. So around, around capillaries, they're all, you know, kind of holding on to it like a gecko. They're holding on to it, but they're able to sense what's going on in the blood. So they have sensors. They can tell what's what kind of signals are flowing through the blood. But then they're also talking to the neighboring cells. They have a hand on, you know, a local stem cell, which will, can become special, you know, can differentiate into the local cells, right? let's say a liver cell, right? The stem cell for the liver, and then it can become liver cells. So it communicates with the stem cell for the liver. And then it also communicates with other immune cells. So it's kind of like this, uh, this role of a conductor. So these mesenchymal stem cells, they're all over your body. So they're sensing everything. And when they feel, well, when they sense some kind of signal that triggered them to realize, okay, somewhere there's an emergency. I need to get into the blood vessel, get to that area and start working. So then they will actually, you know, kind of like a, like a pancake, right? Squeeze through the, the, the walls and get into the blood vessels and like a salmon swimming upstream to find where the problem is because they're tracing the highest concentration of the inflammation signal, right? Injury signal. So they get there and they start to work. They start to talk to everything. They start to bring immune, the, the immune cells in, start remove debris, or if it's important for them to bring in more inflammation to promote the regeneration. So you need inflammation and then you need to calm the inflammation to, to regenerate. So they conduct all that activity. So every one in 10,000 cells in this newborn baby is a mesenchymal stem cell, is an MSC. Yeah, there are other kinds of stem cells too, like hematopoietic progenitor cells. So these are the, the cells that can form all the, your blood cells. Um, so there, there, there are a few different types, and there are some that are even more primitive. But the mesenchymal stem cells is kind of the powerhouse for all the regeneration that's going on in the body. Um, and they also help these hematopoietic stem cells. So they talk to each other, right? These stem cells also talk to each other. The mesenchymal stem cells talk with hematopoietic progenitor cells to help them to regenerate the blood. So you, you need everything together. So that's, that's, you know, when you kind of utilize, realize the intelligence of the body, the innate intelligence of all these complex systems. Working. I really hope you enjoyed the first half of this podcast. If you'd like to listen to the rest, please visit evolvenetwork.tv. That's evolvenetwork.tv. We'll see you there. The information, views and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences, and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions, or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast.